a novel with a rather intriguing title that I think I'd like to get hold of and read. And it's called Towing Jehovah by James Morrow. And apparently in this story, God has died of unknown causes and his body has fallen from heaven into the Atlantic Ocean, just south of the equator. The archangels want God to have a decent burial, but the, the Vatican realizes the need for <coughs> excuse me, extreme secrecy. So a huge supertanker is chartered to find God's body and tow it to a remote tomb under the North Pole. On board the tanker are, of course, sailors, but also a motley crew of theologians, atheists, and feminists, all struggling to absorb the implications of this stupendous happening. The atheists, because God existed after all. The theologians, because God had a body after all, and worse, that body has died. And the feminists, because it's evident that God was male after all. Well, apparently this whole tragedy comedy unfolds as God's corpse, which is over two miles long, is slowly towed by the ears towards the Arctic. Sound intriguing? Well, what has that got to do with our reading today? The traditional belief that Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples with a physical body has been the subject of quite a lot of debate over the years in the church, certainly in recent times, but actually right from the earliest days of the Christian church. Parts of the church from earliest times picked up on the prevailing Greek platonic dualism between spirit and matter. Spirit was good, matter was bad. Mind good, body bad. Ended up with male good, female bad, but we won't go there. And it certainly came through in early second century Gnostic teaching. It's there in the so-called Gospel of Judas, with the idea that Judas was actually doing Jesus a good turn by releasing him from his body. You can see why it didn't end up in the New Testament. But even in Orthodox Christian teaching, that dualism has lingered and been quite destructive. And add on to that layers of some extreme monastic asceticism and our Victorian attitudes to the body, which always made sure the piano legs were covered, and we often get in the church very little positive sense of the body at all. Rather, the body has been seen as a burden, something to be towed around in this mortal life while our spirit longs for freedom. Even St. Paul felt a little bit like that at times. So in much Christian teaching, the flesh has been an embarrassment. You've only got to think of the baptismal formula, fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's the flesh in the middle there, something conjuring up something forbidden or illicit. Life in the flesh is something to be endured, it seems. The really important parts of the Christian life are the spiritual parts like worship and prayer. Yes, our bodies have to come along to church as well, of course, but like resentful children dragged along and our bodies get bored and fidget and cause a distraction. Now, of course, that's exaggerating, but... Think back to when you were at Sunday school, if you went. In order to pray and to be with God, we must keep still, hands together, eyes closed. 
Think of the lovely old chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We are called to block out the things of this earth and to help us to concentrate, we were given uncomfortable pews, unreliable heating systems and kneelers that felt like concrete. Not here, of course. I wonder if you can remember those excruciating evenings at youth group or Bible class or confirmation class where the leaders would talk about our bodies being temples of the Holy Spirit, whatever that might mean. But that also that our bodies were full of awkward and powerful passions, which we already knew about pretty much anyway. And we were given wonderful mixed messages about how these were wonderful feelings, but wrong and needed strict controlling, and we were to save ourselves for marriage when clearly their anxieties as youth leaders would be over when we were all safely married off. Strangely, nothing was ever said that I can recall about how to live with those passions through a lifetime of celibacy. That is considered unnatural by our society and is still mostly, for the nuclear family-focused church, a too-hard basket that we're not willing to validate. Of course, the monastics and the mystics of the church through the ages do have a lot to teach us here. But I think it hasn't been helped by the image that we have so often gained of saints as sexless people, all those virgin martyrs sort of floating around several feet above the ground. So it's not really surprising that a church that has been embarrassed for so long by its own fleshly humanity comes so easily to resist the idea of the risen flesh of Jesus. And I'm intrigued the more I look at that, that I realize there's only one foot on Jesus. <laughs> you can look for it now. <laughs> and yet the Christian faith is unavoidably physical. Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, said the Christian faith is the most materialistic of all the world's religions. Faith in a God who has taken flesh, been born of a woman, and made his home in our physical and earthly world. So Christianity isn't about liberating the spirit from the flesh, even though that's language which you'll often hear people speak about at funerals. But rather, actually, it is, as in Hebrew thought, very much so, the uniting and transforming of both spirit and flesh together for us made one and whole in Jesus. So our flesh is, and our faith is a flesh and blood faith. And that's declared for us so powerfully in the words and the elements of the Eucharist or in the prayer of humble access, words which, though familiar to many of us, can still be quite hard for us to stomach. The resurrection stories like today's gospel go out of their way to emphasize the physical reality of the risen Jesus. And indeed, Jewish belief of that time could only conceive of a resurrection as bodily. It was the Greeks who separated off the body and the spirit. So the risen Jesus has a body. Oh yes, it was a body with new abilities. Jesus could appear and disappear at will, he was very difficult to recognize unless he chose to reveal himself. And he could overhear conversations at which he was not physically present, which is quite a useful skill, I think. The medieval theologians even had a name for those new abilities of Jesus. They called them 
his agilities, which is a lovely word, isn't it? Even if it reminds me pretty much of a dog trial. But there it is. So Jesus is not just some sort of Harry Potter magician. To his startled and frightened disciples, and I think you, you sense that in the art there, Jesus went out of his way to assure them that it's really him, and he is not a ghost. He is solid, he is real. Do you have anything to eat? In all the stories of the resurrection appearances, the disciples are in no doubt that this is a real human being. But yes, as you can see, with scars on. Jesus lived, suffered, and died in our flesh. And now he rises from death and is glorified in our flesh. He takes our humanity and our scars into God's presence. We who like all the scientific details want to know a bit more, just what did the risen Jesus look like? Why didn't people recognize him all the time? What was he wearing? He'd left his grave clothes behind, so was he naked when he appeared to the disciples? I'm not sure if you've ever thought about that one, but in the 12th century, it worried St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And he told his anxious readers that in the event, the eye of love clothes the vision in familiar garments. That's all right then, isn't it? But it sounds a wee bit like the emperor's new clothes to me. But, and it's a big but, isn't it? Shouldn't our resurrection faith, the fact that we say in the creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body, make a difference to how we see our own bodies? Many of us have a very ambivalent relationship with our bodies, sometimes right through our lives. And probably many of us have a lifetime journey to accept towards acceptance of our bodies. We live in a global culture that puts impossible expectations on how we see and present our bodies. A huge burden for our young people and right down to children, but increasingly right through the age spans as well. That powerful multinational advertising industry exploits our dis-ease with our bodies at all ages. Just think of the name The Body Shop for a start. And of course, at the very worst end of the spectrum is the exploitation and abuse of bodies, particularly those of women and children, but not only so. When bodies are just commodities to buy or sell, bodies separated from their inevitably damaged souls. It's been said that the exploitation of the body is one of the consequences when a society loses sight of God's involvement with the world. If God is found only beyond the body, then anything can be done to the body. The body doesn't matter anymore. But rather, we as Christians would want to affirm it is important that Jesus is the word made flesh, God in a body, and yes, the body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, yours and mine. And of course, too, there is the whole movement to today towards holistic health, the integration of healthcare for body, mind, and spirit, led in Aotearoa by the Maori worldview of holding those together. A lot of it is good common sense, making good lifestyle choices and life balance. And maybe that's where the church too must not abdicate our commitment to healing and to praying for healing and praying for wholeness 
linking that in with a longing in our world for living as whole people, as healthy people, rather than being a church that says, well, we're actually only really interested in people's minds or spirits, while the world only seems interested in our bodies. Where we relate to God with our spirit and our mind and our body, there is the possibility of new life and of resurrection, of reunion, of God putting us back together in new creation. Maybe for many of us, part of that is accepting and owning our own body before God. That's often a very powerful part of foot washing, isn't it, on Maundy Thursday, It's owning our feet, imperfect as they are, before God and before each other. We are followers of Jesus in his incarnation, the word made flesh, and also in his resurrection. I believe in the resurrection of the body. So there is hope for our bodies, and that's really encouraging, isn't it, as we draw towards winter. We are not nobodies. We are some bodies, some bodies loved by God. So as we continue in worship, maybe today you might like to pray with your eyes open before God. Use your senses. Appreciate the wine, the bread, the taste, the feel of the communion elements. Listen to the glorious music, the beauty of this place, of God's created world, and use that to feed your prayers. And as you do so, know God's peace. I love the way the risen Jesus always introduces himself and says, peace be with you. Let it be so for us too, in body, mind and spirit. Amen.